I'm going to ask for a little help from you this morning. I'm in a discipleship group with some men who don't necessarily need to be named for this exercise, but we were having a discussion about clutter, and in particular, the, the way that a project can be started and not completed, and then another project started on top of that, and then another one on that, and there is a real witness to that kind of living, and it's the garage. So... <laughs> I texted, I, real time, I walked into my garage, I snapped a picture without moving a single thing, and I texted it to the group, and I got one back, and it was a touche. Now, I want your help. I'm going to put a picture up here on the screen, in fact, two of them. One of those garages is mine, and one of them is someone else's, and I want you to decide which one is worse. <laughs> if you are in favor of the one on top, raise your hand. The one on top is the worst, Ray says. All right, and on the bottom, is that worse? Raise your hand if you think the one on the bottom. Yes, I win. <laughs> Mine's the one on top. I mean, I'm in a better condition. <laughs> and if you should happen to recognize any of that equipment, feel free to tell that sinner that he needs to clean his garage out. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, that doesn't happen overnight. I've been in my garage for eight years. And it's one little thing on top of another on top of another. And I would suspect if I did a pastoral inspection of the garages of this church, there would be many quite like that. It's a gradual thing that builds up over time. Clutter accumulates. It doesn't go from a perfect garage to looking like that the next day. And the same is true spiritually in our lives, both in terms of godliness and in terms of sin. And I'm a big fan, as you know, of C.S. Lewis, and I, I really like his book, The Screwtape Letters, which are, it's, they're fictional letters a demon wrote to his nephew, who he is coaching in hurting people and how to be a good demon, in other words, how to harm Christians. And I want to read to you something that Uncle Screwtape, the mentor, says to his young nephew. <clears throat> he says, you will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, You are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from his God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if playing cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. Well, we are in the season of Advent, and Advent is a penitential season. It's not a season to get all your decorations up, buy everything, and you have a month to sing all the Christmas songs before you can't use them again. It's actually a season of introspection, of reflection, of, of penitence, of being repentant of things that have cluttered up your spiritual life, that are in the way of your walk with the Lord. The text for today is the one from which I got the title for our Advent focus, Prepare the Way. And the subtitle is Centering Our Season on Christ. And this morning's text from Luke chapter 3 is John the Baptist proclaiming this passage, this verse from the prophet Isaiah. And the smart ones here, the quick thinkers here, have made a connection. 
I've just shown you a cluttered garage. I've read you a passage from a book about sliding down into perdition. And I've mentioned prepare the way. And you think, okay, I know what the application is. He's going to tell me I have to clean up my act. Right? That's where this is going. Clean up my act. Get the clutter out. And the inner problem solver in me, and the inner Pharisee in me, and the inner person who wants to do well and wants to be an aficionado of self-help, let's say, rages and thinks, I can do this. All right. It's all on me. I've got to go do this. I've got to prepare the way for the Lord. It's my work to do. But I want to ask a question from the text. Who is the subject that is doing the action in verses five and six? Yes, verse four says, prepare the way of the Lord, make, every, make his path straight. But then it says, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. It puts the direct object as the subject and then uses the passive tense. Instead of saying, Mike chops down the mountain, it says the mountain will be made low. But who is the actor? Who actually makes it low? Who is at work here? What the prophet John the Baptist is quoting is from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, in fact. And if you understand your church history, you will realize that Isaiah was speaking a word of comfort in chapter 40 to the Israelites before they were to be exiled. God had pronounced a judgment on them. He said, you've disobeyed me over and over and over again. You've broken my covenant, and your punishment is that you will be exiled from this land that I've given to you. What is so amazing about God and so amazing about this book is that God wrote it and he is outside of time. So he is able to give information hundreds of years in advance and it to be, it be fulfilled perfectly. So Isaiah prophesies things in there that God fulfills centuries later. You know the famous passage from Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he, and he gets his real commission as a prophet. Well, King Uzziah died in 740 BC. The exile didn't happen to Babylon until 586 when they destroyed the temple. Nebuchadnezzar's army came in, destroyed the temple. From 740, Isaiah starts prophesying, but it's not until 586 that this happens, that, that they are exiled. And you see, God is saying through them, I'm going to prepare the way back from exile. I'm going to have a word of comfort. I'm going to bring you back into the land. This judgment is coming, yes, but I'm the one who's going to prepare the way. Do you know what a sapper is? A sapper is a person, usually a military person, who goes ahead of troops to clear out any trees that are fallen or whatever, so all of the, the army or the navy or whatever can get through that area. And sometimes they dig trenches, they go ahead and they get things ready. And when a king would travel, obviously back in old days on a a horse and a, and a cart, they would go through and fill in the little holes. They would move things. They would oftentimes carry an ax if a tree had fallen. They make the way open. And that was their work. But in this case, God is saying, I'm going to prepare a way for you to come back, to come back to the land from which you will be exiled. Think about some of the dates. In 740, I mentioned 740 BC, Isaiah starts prophesying. And then in 586, the temple's destroyed and the exile is completed. And then in 538, Cyrus, the king of Persia, conquers Babylon. Here's what's so amazing about God's word. In in Isaiah's prophecy, only four chapters after this, he refers to Cyrus as the Lord's anointed and his shepherd. 
Cyrus has not even become the, the person in charge yet. He's not the one, they, they don't even know what's going to happen, but God does. God is working in real time, and he says, Cyrus is the one that I'm raising up as my anointed. So when Cyrus takes over the Babylonians, he then sends the Israelites back into their land. Of course, God said this is what would happen. God is preparing the way for the people to get back into the land. He's giving favor to them through Cyrus, later through Artaxerxes, one of his successors. That's in 445 that Nebuchadnezzar gets uh, or excuse me, that Artaxerxes gives Nehemiah the, the freedom and the resources to go back and build the wall around the temple. Do you see that? That's 445 from 740. The dates, hundreds of years now, God is at work. In this passage from today's gospel, we see him using all kinds of names. Sorry, Dan, you had to read that gospel. You know, I don't, those are some tough tetrarchs in there. I don't know the last time I mentioned Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. To read these passages, I mean, but see what Luke is doing is he's placing God's salvation in real history. It really happened. And you can, you can know exactly when it happened because you can look at history and see when these different rulers were in charge. God is the one who does the work. I want you to catch something here. It's not you who prepares the way. It's God who does the heavy lifting. He is the one. He had a prophecy about Zechariah and Elizabeth having John the Baptist. 30 years happen before this this inauguration of Jesus' public ministry through John the Baptist. 30 years. And in that year, as he describes, the word of the Lord came to John the Baptist. And then he went out and began to prophesy, saying, prepare the way. Luke's description helps us to place this where it should be, in God's initiative. Now, John the Baptist is God's sapper, so to speak, to go and prepare the way for his Messiah to come to the people. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. There's a double meaning on that. They were captives in Babylon, for sure, but we are captives in sin, and we have a Messiah who comes, and he levels the mountains, and he fills in the valleys, and he does that for us. Do you know what the greatest Christmas gift is? Obviously, it's Jesus. That's the correct answer in church when I ask a rhetorical question. (laughs) However, specifically, the greatest gift is what John says of Jesus when he finally sees him come onto the public scene. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is God's work. He takes away the sin of the world. And then he says, he will, I baptize with water, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What an incredible gift that is, that we have one who's taken away the sin of the world and then gives us his Holy Spirit. So what are the mountains and the valleys that have to be made level and prepared and the path that needs to be straightened out? It's sin. That's the obstacle. And the power is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus takes away the sin and then he gives us, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. God is the one doing a great work. And we do have a part in that, for sure. But he is the heavy lifter. He's the grand architect of this salvation. We do have a response, but he's the one who does it. I was blessed a number of years ago, about almost 15 years ago now, to be in in London and get to tour around and see um, that great city. And I went into St. Paul's Cathedral and walked in and looked up at the dome and it's like 300 feet tall or something. It's it's grand and magnificent. And I I read an account of when it was being constructed um, and, and it was the design of an architect named Christopher Wren. And 
as the building was actually being built, a, a reporter went and asked some of the workers the same question, what are you doing here, was the question. And the first one said, well, I'm, I'm laying stone for a shilling a day, or whatever his pay was. The second one said, I'm working 10 hours a day chopping these stones. A third one said, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build the greatest cathedral to God's glory in England. Do you see the perspective difference? One thinks I'm doing my work and it doesn't matter. Another thinks I'm part of a really big thing that somebody amazing has already started. We do have a part to play. God says, I will take away your sins and I will give the Holy Spirit. But then he asks something of us. He says, repent and trust. Repent and believe in me. That is our work to do. That's what he gives for us. That's what he's asking. And as I said, this is a penitential season. Don't get swept away in all the gift giving and the lights and the decoration and miss the time to reflect and think, how am I actually doing? I'll give you a heads up. Lent is coming and it's a preparation for Easter. Advent is what we're in now. We wear a darker color, purple, indigo. These are penitential colors to remind us to do some of the the introspective work. How is my walk with the Lord? How is my faith? Am I walking in his spirit? Am I living filled with the spirit and in his power? I want to give you an experience this morning that will help you, I think. I placed a little card in your bulletin. It's a little piece of cardstock. Blank on one side, it has a really bad black and white uh, photocopy of one of my favorite paintings. I actually have a nice print of this hanging in my living room. This is a Holman Hunt picture. It's called The Light of Christ. And it was inspired by Revelation 3, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens, I will come in and dine with him. Um, what's interesting about this, this painting is that Christ is wearing the crown of thorns on his head. And if you can see in detail, he's got the marks of his crucifixion, but he's dressed in kingly garments. He's in a resurrected body. He's carrying a lantern, and he's standing at a door with no handle. You can't really see that detail, but there's no handle on that door on the outside. It must be opened from the inside. And you might notice there are weeds and thick stuff growing in front of the door. It hasn't really been uh, used very much. And the question this and it's, and it's obviously evening. His light is lit. He's, he appears to have been standing there a long time. The real mystery, the mystery of salvation, is that God does it and yet leaves a little bit for us on the other end to receive what he's offering. There is work for us to do. It might be as simple as laying that stone in a grand cathedral that God is building, but we do have a work to do. Repent and believe. And just like the garage that over time the clutter builds, The same thing is constantly happening in our lives. Every year, I preach this exact sermon, basically. You've heard it last year if you were here. We have the clutter spiritually building up in our lives. And what it does is it keeps us from the fellowship that Jesus wants to offer. I ask you this morning, how is your walk with the Lord? Is it vibrant? Are you thriving spiritually? Do you delight to be in his house? Are you daily in his word? Not because you know it's the right thing to do. You're doing it because you're so hungry for him. If not, why? That's the question. What is cluttering my fellowship with Jesus? What has accumulated over this year, over this month, over this week? What is in the way? Now, I can't tell you, but the Holy Spirit can. That's his work. And he's probably working on you right now. 
If I, what, I, what I know in my experience is when I ask a question like that, usually the Holy Spirit tells me before the, the sentence is even done. I know it. It already popped into my head. It's like, it's that quick. But sometimes we need a, a little list of things to really think through, where am I struggling? How is my walk with the Lord? Am I totally caught up in worldly things? Is there a lot of clutter? Is there so much clutter I can't even really ask that question? I want to just say a couple of things that I think get in the way. And I want to look at pride, fear, and idolatry as three to start to give you some fodder for thought and for prayer. But I want to say this to the group this morning here. You might not be a Christian. That's a hard thing to say, but it's something to really consider. You might not actually be a Christian. You might never have allowed him to break you and then rebuild your heart. To get to that place of penitence, of repenting, and saying, I'm a sinner. And that's what pride does. Pride makes me say, I'm pretty good. I'm a basically good person. I do good things for people. I'm not evil. But that's pride that keeps us from saying, no, I'm actually a sinner, and I can name the specific sins that are the result of my condition, and I cry out for mercy to God. So the first thing to lay down is pride, and to say, (laughs) humbly, to say, help, I need a savior. That is how a person becomes a Christian. They repent, and then they trust. They place their trust in Christ. And then his spirit comes into your life, and things begin to change. But pride also, or excuse me, but fear also. I'm afraid if I do that, he'll expect me to change some things. And he does expect change. But we think it's bad. We think we're losing something and don't realize we're gaining something. And that's part of the the deception of the enemy. And the idolatry. I'm too busy stuffing my heart full of things that I think will satisfy me. And so I have to push these things aside and say, Jesus, you're the only thing that can satisfy me. Come. Now, those same three things, pride, fear, and idolatry, affect Christians as well as those who are not yet Christians. Pride. I can solve my problem alone. Prepare the way. I can prepare the way. I can do it. And not saying, Holy Spirit, would you show me what I need to give to you? And then giving it over to him as the Savior. Pride makes me want to be my own Savior. And humility says, I need you, Jesus. And the same thing with fear, that fear of change. We can fall into a pattern and think, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable right now with where things are. And I'm, I don't really, I don't know that I want a deeper fellowship with Jesus. It's pretty good. I've got my salvation secure, and my walk is okay, and I don't, and, and so it's fear of change. And then idolatry is still the same. As Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. We constantly, we we can create an idol out of almost anything. And so I can't tell you what it is, but the Holy Spirit will. And here's the exercise I want to give you this morning. I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to confirm to you what it is that he is singling out, laser beam focus, not general, you know, condemnation. That's not of the Lord, but conviction of specific things. And on the back of this card, I don't want your name, I want you to write the thing down. And what you're going to do in the service at some point, during communion or on your way out, is you are going to bury this thing with Christ in baptism. And I've opened up the baptismal font back there, and you write on the back whatever it is that's keeping you. Be specific between you and the Lord. You know, don't just write fear, but write whatever it is, or, you know, whatever the Lord gives you, you write it down, don't put your name on it, and I want you to, as an act of worship, I want you to hand it to him and ask him for the power. You can't fix it, 
but he can. And what he does is he does the heavy lifting, and then he says, repent and trust in me. And so let's now go to him and ask the Holy Spirit to shine his light in our heart and convict us where needed, and then let's repent of that, for it is a penitential season.